Okay, good luck. We are doing now Sunday's portion of Zayis HaBracha. We will do in Chita Zos HaBracha this week. And then again, we will begin it next week. Sunday, we'll do Sunday's portion, Monday, Mondays, and Tuesday on Simchas Torah, we will complete the entire Zayis HaBracha and do Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday's portion of Bracious. And continue on Wednesday, Bracious for the rest of the week. Um, among the various options of how the weeks could fall out, this is actually an easier version of the story. <laughs> okay, so, So the parsha opens up, the portion opens up, and this is a blessing with which Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. So Rashi says, immediately before his death, because if not now, when? Meaning the question is, obviously Moses blessed them right before he died. I mean, we understand that he didn't bless them after he died. So what is the significance of saying before he died? So the point is immediately before he died. And the verse here is sort of emphasizing that he did it the last possible opportunity because the primary role of the leader at this point is to rebuke the people, which he did extensively, to guide the people, which he did extensively. And once he completed that task, he now can, in conclusion, bless the people. Next verse. He said, God came from Sinai, and he shone forth to them from Seir. He appeared from the Mount of Paran, and he came with some of his myriads of the holy. From his right hand, he presented a fire of law to them. What's happening here? So Rashi explains on the words, he said, God came from Sinai, that the point of this portion is blessings. But we begin the blessings with praising God. After we praise God, we're going to ask God for blessings for the Jewish people. Now, if we are now choosing to praise God, Moses chose specifically praises of God that also is a praise of the Jewish people. Because this is a way of engendering God's goodwill toward the Jews as if to say these people are worthy to have the blessings take effect on them. And that's why there are many praises of God that Moses could have chosen, but what Moses is praising God here with is meant is explaining that God offered the Torah to other nations before offering it to the Jewish people. He offered it to the children of Asaph, who lived in Seir. He offered it to the children of Ishmael, who lived in Paran. Okay, that's a praise of God. They should see that God is being, so to speak, fair here. Of course, God knows they will reject the Torah, but he still offers it to them. So that's a praise. There are myriads of praises that Moses could have chosen. But this praise is implicitly praising the Jewish people as the ones that wanted the Torah. In other words, what's the praise here of God? The praise here of God is really expressing God's humility in offering the Torah to Esau and Ishmael, even though he, of course, knew they wouldn't accept it, but not to be unfair in their eyes, he's offering it. But here, the Jews did accept it. So this is the praise of God that really is expressing the merit of the Jewish people. The next Rashi, God came from Sinai. So we're saying here he came from Sinai, Really, you would think it would say God came to Sinai. 
But it says he came from Sinai because he went out to greet the Jews when the Jews were standing at the bottom of the mountain waiting to receive the Torah, like the groom who goes out to greet the bride. So he came from Sinai to greet the Jewish people standing at the foot of Sinai. He shone forth to them from Seir. Now Seir is where Esau, the children of Esau, lived. So Rashi explains, he proposed to the children of Esau that they should accept the Torah, but they didn't want it. So he goes then from Seir, and he comes back to where the Jewish people are, in Sinai. He appeared to them, meaning to the Jews, from Mount Paran. Mount Paran, again, is where the children of Ishmael live. So these are all various descendants from Abraham, because Ishmael is the son of Abraham. And Esau here is the son of Isaac, Abraham, Isaac. And then he had Esau and Jacob. So these are various descendants from Abraham's family. So maybe they also have dibs on the Torah. Maybe they also have a right to the Torah. I'm offering. Lo and behold, they're rejecting. So he goes from Mount Paran, because God went to Mount Paran to propose the Torah to the children of Ishmael. And they didn't want it. So from there, he came back to Israel, to the Jews. The verse says, with some of the myriads of the holy, with some of his holy angels with him. And Rashi explains, why is the verse emphasizing with some of the myriads of holy angels? Because God is not like a human. A human, by his wedding, he's going to show all of his wealth. Well, this is God's wedding. The giving of the Torah is like the beginning the first stage of the wedding between God and the Jewish people, the culmination of the wedding is Mashiach. The beginning of the relationship of the official bond between us and God, the beginning of our wedding, is the giving of the Torah. So man comes to his wedding with all of his glory. God's not man. He took some of the angels, not all of them. That was his right hand represented a fire of law. So the Torah is referred to as this fire of law because it was written before him black fire on white fire, so to speak, corresponding to black ink on white parchment, which is how man writes the Torah. By God, it was black fire on white fire. He gave them the tablets, the writing of his right hand. Another way of understanding this concept of a fire of law as Unclos explains it, is because the Torah was given to them from the fire. As we know, there was fire there by the mountain. Next verse. He also showed love to people, all of its holy ones in his hand, and they were brought in at your feet. He would bear your utterances. Very poetic words here. So what does it mean? So the first phrase, he also should love to his people. Also, in the Hebrew it's af, which has various meanings, but Rashi is following it to mean also. Also, with intense endearment, he should love to all the tribes. How did he show love to all the tribes? So Rashi says that each one of the tribes he calls a people, even though it's just one of the tribes. A tribe is like a twelfth or a thirteenth of the Jewish people. But each individual tribe is called a people. How do we see this? Because when all the tribes were born besides the youngest one, Benjamin, Benjamin, God blessed Jacob, Yaakov, and he said, a nation is going to descend from you. 
well, all the other tribes are already born. Who's left? Just one tribe. And yet we're calling that one tribe a nation. So we see how dear the Jewish people are to God, that even one tribe is already viewing as a nation. That's the first phrase in this verse. The second phrase, all its holy ones are in your hands. So Rashi explains this to me, the souls of the righteous are stored away with God. Next verse, and they were brought in at your feet. Rashi says, they're worthy to this. They're worthy to be next to you because they brought themselves to the underside of the mountain, to your feet by Sinai. So this is why we're describing the Jews at God's feet. The previous verse said they're in God's hands, but now we're saying they're at our feet because we're saying they were at the foot of the mountain, by the feet, so to speak, of God. He would bear your utterances. Rashi explains to me the Jewish people bore upon themselves the utterances, the yoke of your Torah. Now Rashi then has a long Rashi analyzing this word, your utterances. In Hebrew, it's midabrosecha. The question is, what is that mem, the first letter there, what's its function? So Rashi gives us two explanations. First explanation, Rashi says, is the mem is actually part of the root word, the shorash. And like the word midaber, that's the word. So midaber is like a reflexive word, mistaber, which means as if God is communicating with himself. As if God's talking to himself and Moses gets to overhear and pass on it to the rest of us. Midabrosecha. Rashi also gives us Onkelos' explanation, where Onkelos looks at it as if the root word is daber, speak, and the function of the mem is min, from, meaning the Jewish people would travel min, from, according to your words. So the verse said he would bear yisa midabrosecha, and Onkelos here is looking at yisa, to carry as the Hebrew, Yisa, change the sin to a Samach and the Aleph to an Ayin, which means to travel. Or you could say that carrying Yisa and traveling sort of reflect the same thing, an object moving from one place to another. So in either case, if Unculus was looking at it because Yisa is like Yisa, sounds exactly the same, switching two out of the three letters there from carry to the word travel, or if Uncle's is looking at it that one carries is like traveling, moving an object from place to place. In either case, Uncle's is saying, this is talking about when the Jews traveled, and they traveled from the word of God, that God was the one that told them when to travel. So, mi dabrosecha min from dabrosecha, from your word. Now we're going back to the beginning of the verse, and we're explaining it a different way. The first phrase, again, af choviv amin, I told you that af, Rashi, initially translated it as also. At the end of the verse, he's explaining af as even. Here, he's explaining it even. Even at the time when God is showing endearment, so to speak, to the other nations of the world. What does it mean he's showing endearment to the other nations of the world? Here, we're looking at the word people in simplest sense. 
not meaning the Jewish people, but meaning the peoples of the world. He seems to be smiling at the peoples of the world because he's giving over the Jews into their hands. But still, next phrase in the verse, all his holy ones are in his hands. Meaning all of the Jews' righteous people are still clinging to God and not leaving God, and God is guarding them. So here, being in the hands of God implies God's guarding and protecting the righteous people even at the time when the Jewish people, God forbid, are given over to the nations of the world. Now again, we're reinterpreting this whole, phrase, this whole verse with the different explanations, and so now we're going to the next phrase. And they were brought in at your feet. So these righteous people are centering themselves and guarding, to, guarding together like under your feet, under your shade, the shade of God, which would mean sort of the authority of God. They're bringing themselves in at your feet, meaning they're actively putting themselves under God's authority. And then the last phrase in this verse for our second time around understanding of the verse, they will bear your words. Which Rashi says here means they accept your decrees with joy. And this is what they say. Now we're going to the next verse, a very famous verse. This is the word that these Jews are saying, even at a time when the Jewish people are suffering. But they're not abandoning God. They're still believing in God. They're still accepting his authority. And this is what the Jews proclaim. The Torah that Moses commanded us is an heritage, is the inheritance for the congregation of Yaakov, of Jacob. Rashi says on this verse, that this Torah which Moses commanded us is the inheritance of the congregation, meaning, and Rashi says, Achaz Nuha, we're holding on to it, and we will not abandon it. Now, the Rev has an interesting explanation here on this Rashi. I'm not going to give you the whole thing, but just very briefly, Achaz Nuha, the Rebbe says, what do you mean we held on to it? We don't say we hold on to the Torah. We say we learn the Torah. We listen to the Torah. We guard the Torah. We don't grip the Torah. It's not a physical item like that. That's not what it means here. So the Rebbe says that Rashi here, but achaznuha really means like the word achuza. It's our ancestral portion. I mean, the verse said it's an inheritance. Inheritance meaning it's like ancestral land. Ancestral land you never lose. If you would sell your ancestral land every 50 years, the jubilee year, the yovel year, the land comes back to you. Even if you seemingly have no connection to your land, it's always yours and you'll always get it back every 50 years. So what we're saying here is the Torah is the inheritance of the Jewish people. Even a Jew who seemingly doesn't know a word of Torah, doesn't learn Torah, doesn't keep Torah, how do you pass on to your child something you don't seemingly have? You always have it. It's your ancestral land. It's your ancestral property. Even if a Jew seemingly abandoned the Torah, Torah never abandons the Jew. It's always yours. It's achaznuha. It's your achuza. It's your ancestral land. You can never leave it. Next verse. And he became a king over Yeshurun. When the numbers of the nation are gathered, the tribes of the Jewish people in unity. So he, Rashi explains, means God. He became a king over Yeshurun, meaning the yoke of his rulership is constantly over the Jewish people. When the numbers of the nation are gathered, meaning Rashi says that any gathering, when individuals are being counted together in this group gathering, the numbers, the heads of, 
when we take a census, we're counting heads. So these are the heads that are worthy to be blessed. Or, Rashi gives us another explanation, when the numbers of the nation are gathered, meaning when they're all gathered together as one group, when there's peace among them, God is our king, and therefore we're worthy to receive his blessing. When there's discord among the Jewish people, we're not gathered together as one group, it's hard for the blessing to fall on us. And now, starting with the next verse, we begin blessing. This was all the introductory verses, saying praises of God and truly praises of the Jewish people. So with all that introduction, we now are beginning to praise tribe by tribe all the Jews. The blessings are blessings for each individual tribe, but they're also, for, as Rashi will explain at the end of this portion, each blessing that was directed to a specific tribe is for all the tribes, because all of the tribes are interlocked, interwoven. So a blessing tribe by tribe, but truly every Jew should receive the blessings, at least indirectly, of all of the tribes. So we have here this first verse, the blessing of Reuven. May Reuven live and not die, and may his men be in the count. So may Reuven live, so Rashi explains in this world, and not die in the world to come, meaning the incident that Reuven did with Bilhah should not be remembered. Now, obviously, this doesn't mean that Reuven should live. Reuven passed away a long time ago. This is many generations later. So it's a prayer for the tribe of Reuven, that the tribe shouldn't suffer death as a result of the sin of their forefather. But this happened, this is the sin that Rashi is alluding to, is after Rachel passed away. Rachel was Yaakov, Jacob's main wife. So Jacob's bed, so to speak, was in Rachel's tent. When she passed away, Jacob moved his bed to the tent of Bilhah, the maidservant and like the sort of secondary wife of Jacob. Reuven felt horrible. He's like, okay, my, my mother's sister is her rival, so to speak. At least it's her sister. But her maid is? So he did something. He took that bed and he moved it to his mother's tent. And this was considered a horrific sin on his part, a horrific offense on his part against his father's honor, that he's choosing where his father's bed is supposed to go. So even though Reuven himself completely repented for this act, his complete repentance for the rest of his life for this act, it was like a, you know, a, a sort of a knee-jerk reaction. And for the rest of his life, he repented for the act, and he received complete forgiveness for it. And Moses here is blessing his tribe that they shouldn't have anything from this act. And may his men be in the count. In the count means they should be counted with the rest of the brothers. It doesn't mean, simply you might think it's saying as men be counted. But we'd say, well, that's not a blessing. If you're saying to be counted, like there's such, they should be such a small tribe that we should be able to easily count them. What does that mean? So it's in the count. They should be counted with the brothers, meaning they shouldn't be excluded because of this sin. Now the next verse, the last verse in our section today, is the blessing of Judah, of Yehuda. And this to Yehuda, to Judah, and he said, Listen, God, to the voice of Judah and to his people shall you bring him. May his hands fight for him, and may you be a helper against his enemies. So Rashi begins by explaining, why are we talking about a blessing for Judah? I would think the first tribe was Reuven. Okay, he got the first blessing. His brother, the next brother, is Shimon. So actually, Shimon did not get a separate blessing. 
So we have to skip Shimon. At the end of this verse, we're going to explain why Shimon did not get a separate blessing. And that actually could be is an alternative reason of why Judah is here, but I'll leave that explanation before we get to in the Rashi. The next tribe then will be Levi, Reuven, then his brother Shimon, then the brother Levi. And then after that would be Judah, Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Judah, Yehuda. So why do we put Judah here before Levi? So Rashi explains that we connected them, and there's really two reasons here going on in this Rashi is saying. First, because there's a similarity that both of them have something in common. Both of them confessed their sin. In other words, Judah's sin, so to speak, what something that happened, all, all of these people were very, very great. But I just explained over Uvain's sin, he was a very, very, very great person. For a regular person, that wouldn't be counted as something. Also what Uvain did. But what he did wrong on his level was wrong, and he confessed. So just as we spoke about Reuven, and Reuven confessed, we're linking it to Judah, because Judah also confessed. Additionally, something else had happened. Our sages explained that actually Judah confessed first. And when Reuven heard Judah's confession, that motivated him to say, hey, I should do the same thing. I did something wrong. I should also publicly confess my act as a form of penitence, as a form of repentance. So Judah's confession actually created great merit that it inspired Reuven to also confess. So what is Moses saying here? Moses, our sages explain that the entire 40 years that the Jews were traveling in the desert, it says the bones of Judah were rolling around in the casket because of the banishment he had taken upon himself. How do you take upon himself a banishment? Judah convinced his father Jacob that he should be allowed to bring Binyamin, to bring Benjamin back to Egypt, meaning all these things are based on many, many long stories. So just to explain it very briefly, when Joseph is the ruler in Egypt and his brothers have to come to him, not knowing his Joseph, his brother, to buy food, Joseph is setting up here a similar situation to what happened when he was sold by his brothers into slavery to bring his brothers to complete repentance. That he created a situation where the youngest son Benjamin, he was favoring him, creating great reasons for the brothers to be jealous if they still had that problem in them. And then he created a great excuse to get rid of Benjamin because he planted his goblet in Benjamin's sack. And the brothers, you know, rose up to the test, passing it beautifully because they all said, we're not letting Benjamin this happen to him and take us as slaves and not him and they put their own lives instead of Benjamin, so they completely passed the test and showed they did complete repentance, which was Joseph's point. So initially, Joseph has to get Benjamin to, to Egypt, and Jacob doesn't want to send Benjamin, and he's refusing to send him. And finally, Judah said to his father Jacob, I'm taking it upon myself to bring Benjamin back. If I don't bring Benjamin back, I'm in a state of banishment forever, eternal banishment if I don't safely deliver Benjamin back. Now, practically speaking, he did safely deliver Benjamin back. And when Benjamin's life was threatened, that he was going to be a slave, Judah said, take me instead of him. I'm better than him in all. I'll be a better slave, a better warrior, a better worker. You get much more out of me than you get out of Benjamin. Judah completely put his life on the line for Benjamin, and Judah did successfully turn Benjamin, and Benjamin was fine. 
But still, if someone makes a conditional banishment, if this and this happens, then I'll be banished, it still took effect. And for all these years, so to speak, Judah has this banishment for this statement. Now, what's Moses doing? Moses is removing the banishment. How is Moses removing the banishment? Because he's bringing, he's showing the great merit of Judah. He's saying, look what Judah did. Because Judah, different story, nothing to do with this, confessed his crime. This inspired Reuven to confess his crime. That's such a great merit that should take away the banishment. And it truly did. When Moses gave this blessing, this removed spiritually the banishment on Judah's body because truly of his great merit in inspiring Reuven's confession. So here we find two reasons for the link of Reuven's blessings to Judah. One, they both share the same common issue of confessing their sins. And two, Judah's confession inspired Reuven's confession. And the merit of Judah's confession inspiring Reuven's confession, Moses is now using to bring peace to Judah's body and remove the banishment. Next, Rashi. Listen, God, to the voice of Judah. Now there's a number of kings, all descendants of Judah, all descendants of David, who's a descendant of Judah, in danger that need, need God's help. David's prayers, Solomon's prayers, Asa's prayers, Yoshaphat's prayers, Chizkiah's prayers, all of these five kings were all in times of tremendous need for the Jewish people. And God listened to the voice of Judah, listened to these various five kings, all descended from Judah, in the time of need of the Jewish people. And to his people you should bring him in peace from war. May his hands fight for him. You should take up the cause and avenge his vengeance. And may you be a helper against his enemies. Here is a specific prayer for one specific king who actually we already prayed for before for a different issue, Yehoshaphat, because this was a very specific battle where the sword was, that Yoshefa was about to be beheaded. The sword was already touching his neck. Yoshefa turned to God. God made a miracle, and he was saved. So this was such a great peril, it needed a separate blessing. Now here, Rashi says that in another way of understanding, listen God to the voice of Judah, is actually alluding a blessing for Shema, for Simon. So both in the blessings for Judah, Shimon, Simon is blessed. When the land is apportioned, Simon, Shimon's portion, is from the share of Judah's. And Moses didn't give him a separate, his own blessing, because what had just happened, the, the sin that had just happened, which caused a tremendous number of Jewish people to die, really was primarily evoked from this tribe of Simon. And that's why Moses didn't have in his heart to give him this blessing. Now, this is another reason why Judah would be right after Reuven. Because remember, we said in the order of birth, Reuven's blessed first, the second one should be Shimon, Simon. So really, in a sense, Simon is blessed second because Judah contains within himself Simon's blessing. So that's another reason, a third reason, why we place the blessing for Judah directly after the blessing for Simon. And this is the portion of Sunday, this Sunday, and it is also the portion for next Sunday because we are going to do this portion two weeks, this complete week and next week, Sunday do Sunday's portion, Monday do Monday's portion, and Tuesday do the entire rest of the Parsha, which is actually pretty short.
Good job.